Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Have you ever wondered how a chance encounter with a stranger could change the total direction of your life? How life planning meets your calling and creates a new journey for you? This episode is focused on the story of an impressionable young college student whose life would be changed by a 10-year-old girl named Casey Foote who was battling cancer. In my conversation with Molly Reeser, Molly shares the details of her attending Michigan State University and working part-time teaching horseback riding lessons, a job that would lead her to meet a young girl whose journey with cancer led Molly to start Camp Casey. Molly talks about her own journey from meeting Casey to setting up a one-day camp that would host children with cancer and their families, how that one day led her to do something more, and the drive and determination that would ultimately result in the creation of a nonprofit organization named in Casey's honor. Camp Casey's mission is to provide a safe, fun experience for children and their families affected by childhood cancer, rare blood disorders, and other life-threatening illnesses through accessible horseback riding programs. Molly shares story after story about how complete strangers impacted her life and the lives of children affected by cancer. Although difficult situations lead families to seek out Camp Casey's support, Molly talks about how she truly feels joy in bringing one day of fun to a child who needs it the most. Please enjoy my conversation with Molly Reeser. Today on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, I have a very special guest. Her name is Molly Reeser, and she is the founder and executive director of Camp Casey. I always like to make sure there's no conflicts of interest here. Full disclosure, I am a board member of Camp Casey. And a little quick story before I have Molly introduce herself is I kind of knew of Camp Casey through our longtime nanny that helped actually raise our triplets. And little did I know that Charlotte Bass was one of the prime equine therapists at Camp Casey. And so when Molly and I first met, I said, I know Charlotte, I think she's involved in Camp Casey. And Molly's eyes just lit up and like, cause Charlotte, she's got a heart of gold. So a little interesting story about that. But Molly, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you and tell this incredible story of Camp Casey. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be able to be a part of this. And any friend of Charlotte is a friend of ours because she is one of our superstar equine therapists. And you hit the nail on the head with the heart of gold. I think everybody who's a part of Camp Casey, including you, Paul, who's on our board and works really hard to keep our organization going in the right direction, I would say has a heart of gold. Well, we'll get into in a little bit of that during our conversation. But I think to start off, why don't you talk to our audience about your background who you are, what you've done, and really how you started Camp Casey, because it's an emotional journey for sure. It's really neat because I get to, in my 
work, I get to meet so many other very passionate directors and program managers and staff and volunteers of other nonprofits. And it's so fun to hear their stories of how they got involved with nonprofit work. And my story usually sounds nothing like theirs because I had not volunteered a day in my life before being a part of Camp Casey. Well, that's not true. I volunteered, but it was in college, but it was to earn the attention of a boy I was trying to court. So going into nonprofit work was never really in my, I never had my sights set on that. I thought that I was going to do something really fun and well, it's still fun. I will say nonprofit work is very fun, but I thought I would be living a much different life, living in a big city and being a writer or something glamorous and not nearly as, I don't know, heartfelt of work as doing uh, nonprofit. But I was working on a horse farm while going to Michigan State University. So I was attending school. I have a journalism degree, which I suppose I use for grant writing and things like that now. But I was going to school working part-time on a horse farm and I was just mucking stalls and trying to earn a little bit of extra spending money while going to school. And that's where I met Casey. Casey was a young horseback rider who used to come out with a friend of hers who had a horse at the farm. And she would go riding and just kind of hang out around the barn and interact with the animals and the other people there who had horses or who were working on the farm. And she was a young little girl who had just a lot of personality. She was a real spark plug. I mean, she was very sarcastic and made friends with anybody and was a huge animal lover, which I related to because I've always loved animals. And I remember Casey and I, one of my just most vivid memories from meeting her was that she came to me with these little baby birds that had fallen from the rafters in the barn. And she always wanted to save the lives of these little birds because it was just natural selection, I guess. The birds would fall from these rafters and they would kind of be goners, but she would always, she would run into the arena despite there being lessons going on or horses galloping around. And she would collect these little baby birds and of course bring them to me because I was the only sucker that would say, okay, let's gather them in this shoebox and I'll take them home and feed them cat food and try to revive them. I had like a graveyard in my backyard at the time of birds, but I never told Casey that. So we bonded over a love for animals and I was a teenager at the time. I was 18 or so, and I had never really been exposed to a child with cancer. That was, to me, cancer was a older person's disease. So that was the first time I had ever really been confronted with the fact that a child could get this terrible illness. And it was obvious she had cancer. She didn't have hair and her face was bloated from the treatment she was going through. And she would be in and out of the barn sometimes for weeks at a time. We would not see her because she would have a surgery or be in treatment and be too ill to come riding. So that struck a chord, of course, with me as somebody who was very living my selfish life as a teenager, not realizing that things like that existed. So it really opened my eyes up. And how old was Casey at the time? When we met, she was about 10. So she was like nine or 10. She was just a little thing, but she acted like she was like 29. I mean, she ran the roost. She didn't want anyone feeling sorry for her. She was just kind of a tough cookie and she was just funny. I just, I remember her making everyone laugh and just really lightening the mood of a more traditional English riding facility where you could ask Charlotte all about <laughs> different riding arenas that have like a, sometimes a stuffier Yeah, they're different. Environment. And so she sort of broke that stuffiness and made everybody laugh and was sort of a connector for all of us. 
about a year after I got to know her, she passed away. And it was obviously devastating for everybody. And it was just this really this like deafening silence, not having her around. So a few of the boarders and the others who were horseback riding instructors, I just mucked horse stalls there. That was sort of my job. And we all got together and we just, there was just always talk about doing something to honor Casey. We thought, let's plant a tree and we can put a nice plaque near it. We can buy a park bench and have that be a spot where people sit and reflect and, or we could walk in a 5k to help raise awareness about childhood cancer or raise money for research. And I remember at the time just thinking that all the ideas that everyone was throwing around were just, they were fine, but they were boring and they did not represent the spirit that Casey had. So I suggested, well, I sort of like pummeled everybody and said, you know what, I'm taking over because that's sort of always been my personality. And I approached the owners of the barn and it was a beautiful barn. And I said, hey, I would like to take over this facility for one day and grant me five of the horses here that were all children's lesson horses. And I would like to invite kids from Sparrow Hospital, which was where Casey received treatment, and they can come for a day and enjoy horses just like Casey did, just for one day. I mean, I don't know that I even gave them the time or any other options other than to say, yeah, sure, go for it, because I was very pushy. And they wanted to do it as well. The woman, the matriarch of the house, her name is Teresa, who's still a large supporter of ours. She had kids and she understood that this was something important that we needed to do to honor Casey's life. So I went to the hospital and I put up flyers and I put this day together that we were going to invite children with cancer. We wanted to invite their siblings as well because we knew that cancer was a family disease. And we saw that firsthand when we saw Casey's parents out watching her enjoy the time she spent there. Her brother would oftentimes join her there. So we invited, we had 20 children on this one day in June. And we had the whole thing set up where I just had a few of my friends from school and the barn friends that I had made. We each took a station and we had riding and crafts and we made horse treats. And we just had a day where these kids could rotate from station to station and just have a really good time. And we called it Camp Casey. And that was going to be it. And after that, we would feel good that we had done something to honor her life. Well, about a week after that day, I received a letter at the barn. It was addressed to me and I opened it and it said, thank you for the best day of my life. And it was from a five-year-old who was in attendance. His name is David and he's now probably 25. <laughs> How old he is now? And it just really made me think, well, that wasn't that hard to put together. Let's do this again. And so I approached the owners again and I said, hey, I know I said this was going to be a one-time thing, but why don't we do it once a month? And so we did it once a month and it just sustained until I graduated college. And then after that, I was supposed to go get a real job. And just nothing really was kind of calling to me the same way that Camp Casey was calling to me. I never, I could not find any fulfillment that equaled what I felt when I was organizing and running and even doing a little bit of fundraising for this program. So I decided to be very brave and I sat my parents down and I thanked them for supporting me through college. And at this point, they're just wanting to cut me off completely, which rightfully so. I had spent the last four and a half years away at school, and I was now to get my own job and have health benefits and 401k and all of those very like sensible things that parents want for their kids. But I told them that instead of getting a job, a career, or going to law school or doing what they probably would have been very happy about 
me doing. I said that I was going to waitress and see if I can take this somewhere and build on this. And they would never tell you this now because they're very proud of where Camp Casey has gone, but they did not welcome that (laughs) conversation. It was kind of like... I'm sure that was a tough one to have. (laughs) I remember being very nervous to tell them because I really wanted to show my appreciation and make them proud. And I knew that that's not the most fun thing for my mom to go back to her girlfriends and tell them that her daughter has a degree, but is still without health benefits and much security. But I did it. I knew that that was the time to hustle and I would never get the time to build. I could always go back to school. I could always get a traditional job, career, but I would never be able to really work on this unless I did it right then and there. So I did. It was going to be a year that I was going to do this. That was the promise that I had made to myself and my parents, but it ended up being six years. But in those six years that I was waitressing and I taught fitness for a little while and I just would pick up any odd job that there would be. I like handed out flyers at different stupid jobs. If there were Uber, I would have been an Uber driver. There was no Uber then, but had there been, it would have been, that would have been like the perfect gig for me. So I just did a lot of hustling and living paycheck to paycheck while building Camp Casey. And now it's been 16 years and the organization has really grown and it's now a career for me and for the three others that we employ full-time and the 20-person seasonal staff that we have. And we've now gone on to evolve to reach thousands of kids. And it's, I mean, I'm so happy that I took that risk that I did. And I believe that timing was really on my side because I don't know that I would be able to do that now. (laughs) I don't think I'd ever be able to hustle the way that I did then, but I was hungry for it. And I saw the vision and I persevered and door was closed and somebody told me, no, I would find a different way and kind of annoy people until I got what I wanted. In those early days, like how did you go about, I guess, building the infrastructure of Camp Casey as far as fundraising or grant writing? Because I know that's a big part of what you personally do today within the organization. I had to learn from the ground up. I surrounded myself with people who knew more than I did. And at first, I mean, our board was made up of like my dad and my college roommate. And I think Nick, who was my boyfriend at the time, was on our board of directors, a board that's supposed to be governing me. But at the time, I was not taking a paycheck either. It took six years before I was actually able to pay myself. But yeah, it started just by researching, by meeting with others who were running smaller grassroots nonprofit organizations and just siphoning as much knowledge as I could from them. I mean, it's the nonprofit community is a very welcoming, collaborative network of people. And it's actually quite a small world, probably in any industry, but especially for us, we are constantly collaborating with others. And it's really an honor now when somebody calls me and wants to sit down and ask how they might go about starting an organization because somebody did that for me. Many people did. I would meet with so many different people and I just would take meeting after meeting and then be very gracious and take notes and follow up. And I built a lot of relationships. I think that was the key to just continuing to build the organization. But eventually when it came time for my dad to step down or my boyfriend to step down from the board, we invited professionals who actually could guide the organization along. And I continued to surround myself with very smart people who could And still to this day, I mean, you look at the staff, 
we could not be more complimentary of each other. I can recognize what I'm good at and what my shortcomings are, and I would fill the holes and bring in people who could do the things I couldn't. So, but yeah, it took time. And I think every visionary has this plan of just kind of, oh yeah, you'll write a grant and then that will work. But no, you have to be told no over and over and over again. And then once in a while I would get not even a lucky break, but a break in that somebody would believe in us. And a lot of serendipitous things happened over the years. I mean, we've had little glimpses of angels who have really granted us chances to prosper. And I will say that a lot of hard work, a lot of really good luck, and a lot of really good people have been what has moved this organization along. I think that's one of the things that I've learned about being on the board these last, I don't know how long I've been on the board, three or four years now, it's gone by so fast, is the interaction that you have with these other both grassroots nonprofits and like the bigger nonprofits. Like I think of like a United Way or Ford Foundation or other organizations like that. And the work that you guys do together jointly helping people out. And I know like this one new group that we're working with, Buffalo Soldiers. I'll talk about that in a little bit as well on how that may springboard us into a whole another world, which we're all really excited about. Because you think of in the business world, you don't get a lot of maybe that cooperation because it's so competitive and you're going against each other. But in the nonprofit world, obviously, there's only a limited pool of dollars out there to be raised. And I think it's amazing how the different organizations actually work together to help benefit each other rather than going at each other. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that is what separates the really new organizations from the little bit more established organizations are those who have taken the fear out of collaboration. That's a huge door opener. Of course, the first year you're thinking, oh, this is such a brilliant idea. Somebody's going to take this idea. You feel threatened or, oh, there's this pool of money and we want that. We want that foundation to support us. After a few years, what you start learning and the minute this sinks in, it's just like, I'm telling you, it's just the floodgates are opened. The money is out there for everybody. And of course, you might be applying to the same foundation for the same grant funding. But if your story is compelling and their story is compelling, you will both be funded. And what is even better to a funder and to a nonprofit as a whole is when you can collaborate and come together. And I mean, I think that those who work in nonprofit and thrive in nonprofit are like the bargain shoppers of the world. I mean, there is nothing more satisfying than getting your dollar to stretch to the nth degree. And I mean, even we'll get a grant to buy something, to buy a computer, for example. And it's like, we would never just go to Best Buy and pay sticker price for that computer. It's like, no, we will go network. We will find who works at Dell, who can buy. Everything is like begged, borrowed, or stolen from that point. It's a constant treasure hunt. And I think that that is part of the fun of running the organization. And what's more fun than doing that with another who can pull in their resources and pull in their expertise? We have collaborated and we continue to collaborate with countless other nonprofits serving kids with cancer and beyond. And we find that every time, 100% of the time when we collaborate with another group, with another foundation, with another group of volunteers, something wonderful comes from that. So there is no competing for, I mean, if somebody were going to try to start another Camp Casey and do horsey house calls and completely replicate what we've worked so hard to build, 
then maybe we'd have to have a conversation, but it's never that way. We are always trying to compliment one another, learn from each other, refer families to each other, because ultimately we go back to our missions, Camp Casey's mission and the other mission of the nonprofit. And if we can work together to help both achieve each mission, then everyone wins. I would say to somebody who is a little bit newer in nonprofit or looking to start a nonprofit, just take away any fear of competition or collaboration because once you start collaborating and once you start letting in other nonprofits and share what has worked, share your successes. I mean, I recently met with a woman who has a younger nonprofit and I just got out my phone and I said, all right, here's who you call. And it was a lot of the numbers I was sharing and the contacts I was sharing were pretty large donors to us, but I knew, oh, this guy is going to love what you're doing. You need to reach out to him. And in the end, it always comes back to only help us and help them. So it's a win-win everywhere. We've talked a little bit about how Camp Casey started, but we haven't necessarily talked about what Camp Casey is. So why don't we kind of pivot there? Because you mentioned the mission of Camp Casey. Talk a little bit about what that mission is and the actual activities that Camp Casey puts on for these kids that are struggling with childhood cancers or rare blood diseases. We look very differently than we did when I first described how we started. We're It used to be that we would travel around to different farms and we would operate these one-day horseback riding Camp Casey days, program days. And I will let you know exactly what our programs are. We have four programs. But before I get there, I want to tell you how we even evolved. No, that's great. Programs because the story is pretty magnificent. So we were traveling to different barns throughout Michigan. We had relationships with different therapeutic riding centers and also privately owned horse riding facilities that would allow us to take over their farm for the day. And it was a large undertaking that we asked the barn owners to donate completely for free. So we asked them not to have revenue that Saturday in June or whatever it was when we were coming to their farm. We would ask for five of their horses and we would bring in about 20 volunteers, food for everybody, crafts, games. It was just this giant, fun, extravagant day that we would put on. And we would invite 20 of the local children with cancer and their brothers and sisters to come enjoy this day. Well, a problem we continued to run into was that we would plan this large event and ask a lot of our volunteers, a lot of those who were donating pizza and crafts and horses and the facility, and we would plan this day for 20 children and nine or so would show up. And it wasn't because they didn't want to be there or they weren't planning to come, but it was because these are immunocompromised children. They were too sick. They would have different treatment schedules, or they would just not feel good, or the medical consent forms would come back, and the doctor said, they're not healthy enough. Their blood counts are low. They can't be around horses right now. They have to wait two weeks. And it just was a problem we kept running into, but we didn't really know how to fix it because we can't fix their treatment schedule. So there was one one day event. It was taking place in Lansing and we had a family actually drive all the way from Farmington Hills to attend. The little girls were Lindsay and Kelly and Kelly was only four years old, I want to say, and her sister Lindsay was seven. And Lindsay was going through treatment. She had a cancer in her eye called rhabdomyosarcoma and it's a malignant fast growing tumor of a soft tissue. She's very sick, this little girl. And I want to let everybody know that she is 
thriving and doing great. And she's finishing her sophomore year in college right now. So we have a wonderful relationship I do with the entire family. So her sisters, Lindsay, she's there. She's seven. Kelly is on the horse and Kelly gets a nosebleed. And we have a volunteer nurse at the time. And she says, hey, that little girl needs to get off the horse and get to the hospital right now. I'm looking at her file here. Her blood counts are low. She will bleed to death. She doesn't have the platelets that can clot. Her platelets were low, so she, they would not clot. She would bleed. I mean, a normal wow. kid, you say, plug your nose. You've been picking your nose too much. You have to, <laughs> they get bloody noses. This little girl was sick and needed to get a blood transfusion that day. So we had to get her off the horse. And if you ever, I mean, you know, having children. Oh, that was tough. Horse, and doing the day. Okay, get off that horse. We're going to the hospital. It was horrible. We just felt, and they didn't think twice either. I mean, even her sister who was seven at the time did not flinch. It was like, get off the horse. She got off the horse. They got in the car. They went to the closest hospital. They had to spend the day there. She had to get a blood transfusion. It was a mess for the family, but this was their life. This was once again, cancer coming in between a day of normalcy for these poor kids in the family who were so looking forward to just one day of relief. And this was in late August, so we didn't have anything planned. Usually we would go from mid-May or early June until late August, and then Mother Nature does her thing, and we couldn't have anything else. We would resume the next following summer. So I had nothing else that I could really offer to the family. It wasn't like I could say, oh, don't worry about it. We'll see you next month, because there was no other opportunity for them to enjoy the program. But I kept in touch with the mom. Her name is Linda. and. I said, we're going to make this right. That was a horrible thing you guys had to go through, but we're going to do something extra special for your family. And so I called up my girlfriend, Madison, who had a horse named Sonora, and she had a truck and a trailer as well. And then my other friend, Ashley, who was very horse savvy. And I said, hey, I want to bring a horse to this little girl's house. And they were all about it. They like could not wait to do it. And and you can't waited. make this up. No, <laughs> this story is unbelievable. It gets even better. We were three teenagers hitting the road and we organized it. So Linda and Jim, the parents knew we were coming, but kids did not know we were going to show up. It was a beautiful day in October. I remember it was the day of the marathon and it was just the most gorgeous day. It was like one of those perfect crisp October days. And we pull up to the subdivision in Farmington Hills. We get the horse out of the trailer and we knock on the door and open the door. And these little girls just start screaming. I mean, thankfully Sonora was just like, I mean, she must've been old and deaf or something. Cause she just kind of stood there. I think she was like kind of falling asleep. It was like, we were bringing, we were like the publisher's clearinghouse, but to little girls with a horse and not a big check. They just went bananas. So we said, meet us out back. We're going to give you a day with Sonora. And we did, we brought exactly what we would have done at the one day program to their house. And we had crafts set up, we brought pizza in, we gave the kids rides around their play set and up and down their street. Well, while we are between the play set and the sidewalk, this gentleman drives by and he rolls down the window, he's a neighbor of theirs, and he says, what is this? Who are you guys? We're in the suburbs of Farmington Hills. Where did this horse come from? And he knew the family and he knew what Kelly was going through and what the family had been enduring. So... I said, we're Camp Casey, and this is a horsey house call. And it was just kind of, we made it up. This wasn't something we had set out to do. This was never in the plan, or we never strategically like decided this is the direction we were going to head. But he said, this is what you guys do. This is so cool. I've never heard of an organization like this. 
And he hands me his business card. He said, I want to talk to you about getting involved with this. And again, I would take a meeting with anybody. It's like the gas station attendant would show interest in case. And it was like, when can you meet? I can tell you a little bit more. So anybody who had, and it's still that way. It's like, if you have ears and come within three feet of me, you will hear about Camp Casey. So I was really excited to meet with this gentleman. Of course, we completed the visit. I remember as we were leaving, the little girl said, you can come back anytime. You don't have to bring Sonora. You can bring any horse. They gave us the okay. And I remember thinking like, oh, darn, we can never like reconnect with this family. They're always going to think we're going to bring a horse every time we hang out with them. But, and I will also side note to let you know that Lindsay, the then seven-year-old, now 22-year-old, completed an internship with us last summer. And it's just been a wonderful kind of passing of the torch now that Lindsay and Kelly are older and they're now on the giving end of things. But they definitely reshaped our organization kind of by accident. I ended up reaching out to this gentleman and we sat and we had coffee at a little cafe and I told him this whole idea because between the time that that visit completed and the time I met with him, it all came together. Why are we trying to get the families to schlep to us? Why don't we go to them? That way we do have control over their treatment schedule. That way we do have the ability to make this as convenient as possible for the families. We don't have to even rely on barns to give up a day of horseback riding lessons. We just have to have a horse and we bring it to them. But we also need a truck and a trailer and supplies and some infrastructure, but that'll all come. We just need to get this program going. It was like, it just, all the pieces were there, but it wasn't fully together, but I knew it would be. So I'm meeting with this gentleman again. I mean, this was in 2005 or so, and he was an older man. I'm just kind of this excited young waitress telling him my dreams. And he says, how much is something like this going to cost? And of course I hadn't done the math, but I just pulled out of thin air. I said, $50,000. And I was just doing mental math that a truck is at least 20 grand. A, A trailer is probably another 10. I would say the upkeep of a horse is what, five or 10 or so. I mean, I was just kind of estimating and guessing this in my head, but I said $50,000. At the time, I think Camp Casey had $300 in our bank account because we just had a bake sale or something. So this was like, I might as well have said $5 million. I burst out 50,000 and I remember him not giving me much of a reaction. It was kind of like, okay, well, thank you for sharing this. And I remember thinking that I blew it and that I should have said five. And I just so clearly remember walking out and being like, you idiot. Like, why would you say $50,000? You should have said five. But I wrote him a thank you note and I tried to do what I could to stay in touch, but it didn't really go anywhere. Well, a year later, I'm like between waitressing shifts or whatever. And I stop at our PO box and I'm looking through our mail and it's junk mail and bills and maybe a $5 donation that came through from like my auntie or something. And I opened this unmarked envelope. It has no information on it. It just is addressed to our PO box and there's a single check in it. No note, nothing. And it's in the amount of $50,000. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> okay. You would think that you I had to go so berserk. <laughs> I my car and I just go, Like, I was like, (laughs) we got to do this now. I was terrified. I remember being like a little like, oh no, somebody is actually believing in me to do this now. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I made this up. I'd never dreamed that that would actually happen that way. So it was 
terrifying and almost like panic attack inducing. And I'm just looking at this check and I'm looking at it up to the light to make sure this isn't like a practical joke someone's playing on me. But then I look at, and it's, by the way, in the memo, it says anonymous. You still had no idea where it came from at this point in time. Well, I knew it had to do with this gentleman because he was the only one that I had told this ridiculous amount to. I mean, this was the only person I was so stupid enough to say the figure $50,000. So I knew it was him or that he had something to do with it. But it said anonymous and there was no note. There was no return address. And I looked at the date though. I'm like really studying this check and the date says August 26th. And I think that was 2005 or 2006. Must've been 2006, but it was August 26th. That's Casey's birthday. And I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, this was her gift to us. So we ended up reconnecting and the gentleman, it ended up, it was actually a friend of his that he engaged and got to really wrap his arms around us. And this gentleman ended up wanting no recognition. I mean, this is altruism right here. This is somebody who wanted, we said, oh, we'll put your name all over the truck and trailer. No, he wanted nothing of that. He wanted to give and he wanted us to use this money to do good. And we bought a truck that year. We bought a trailer. We ended up getting a horse donated that we used. And we hit eight homes that year. We did eight horsey house calls. The following year, we did 12. The year after that, we did 16. And then from that point forward, we have hit 30 in Southeast Michigan every year thereafter. So that's going out three or four times a week from June through September. That just kind of gives you an idea of the need. We also have a satellite program now in Grand Rapids. So we deploy two different places at two different times, two different rigs. We have a second truck and trailer now. So we have a whole fleet. And that truck and trailer, it was what allowed our program to really exist and flourish. And so he's still a donor and still gives and believes in what we do. And he's an angel to our program because he believed in us and believed that we could do this. So Horsey House Calls is one of our signature programs. And that is the program that deploys several times a week in sunny seasons. So usually we'll head out late May, sometimes mid-May, depending on the weather. And we'll go until September or October, depending on the weather. And we bring a day of horse camp or summer camp to kids who would otherwise be too sick to go to camp. So we are showing up at their doorstep. Most of the time, it is a surprise. It really does reflect the same design that we had that first day with Kelly and Lindsay, where it's a complete surprise for the kids. The parents know we're coming, but the children are oftentimes surprised. We knock on the door. There's a full-sized horse on their doorstep. We stay for the afternoon and give the child going through treatment, the brothers and sisters. And then typically in a non-COVID year, they can invite up to nine friends. And we stay for the afternoon, give them rides. We do crafts. We play games. We play, have music. We have a photo booth that we bring. They make horse treats. And it's just a day where the family can be celebrated and feel like they are being pointed at for a really cool reason. Typically when they're out in public and their child is visibly sick, kids can be very cruel. Even adults can be sort of rude. This is an opportunity for us to come with our big trailer that says we're there for kids with cancer and really turn that family into celebrities. And I mean, these kids who are oftentimes bullied at school are not being bullied when they have a horse 
at their house. Every kid in the neighborhood wants to be friends with them. And we invite the whole neighborhood. It becomes a block party. There are oftentimes 30 people there and we feed them all and we give them all crafts and we give them all a really awesome experience. So that's Horsey House Calls. I have to interrupt for a second though, because there was an event that happened, was it two years ago, where you talk about kids being bullied and being very difficult and sometimes kids not being able to go to school, like again, in a normal environment. Talk about the horse that went to the school. (laughs) Okay. And we talked earlier about this being an emotional job. That's one that has such happy and sad memories because Bossom was very much toward the end of his life and he was in kindergarten and his kindergarten teacher reached out to us and said, I have a student who has missed all of kindergarten because he's so sick. And I think they were stopping treatment on him or they knew it was toward the end of his life. And she said, it would just be so special if we could bring a horse to the school and we could bring him back with his kindergarten classmates who could see him one last time. It was really an emotional thing to even set up. And we said, of course, and this was, we were going to go in May and it was early May. We knew that weather was not on our side. We tried to plan our season to happen the first weekend in June, but we will, of course, bend. I mean, we'd go out in December if we needed to, but this was one of those cases where we were really trying to fit a square peg into a round hole because it was the rainiest May. This was two years ago, and it was just like every day seemed to be flooding outside. So, But we were like, okay, we're going to do this. We'll bring the horse to the school. We organized it with his parents. His parents were going to bring him to the school to reunite with his classmates. We'll be on the playground at the school. And we show up and the forecast was not looking good. It was like a 40 or 50% chance of rain. Well, we pull up to the school and the sky just opens and it just downpours. It wasn't even like we could just put our hoodies up and make it happen. It was impossible. And also it's not only is it not fun to be sitting outside in the rain with a horse, but we wanted to give the kids rides and we couldn't safely do that if it's raining and wet outside and slippery. Well, Charlotte, my superstar equine therapist says, let's bring her in the school. They have a gym, don't they? Because we're ready to turn around and just leave and reschedule this. I said, how are we going to do that? And she's like, Molly, I got it. Like as long as her fish <laughs> can fit in between the double doors, which we have a big horse, the horse we were using that day is Queen Bee and she's a draft horse. Like I said, we don't use ponies. We use full-sized horses. She's like, if I can fit her through these doors, we're making this happen. I mean, Charlotte, talk about somebody who, if there's a will, there's a way. We talks the janitor, the janitor standing there with a mop on standby. The whole gym gets cleared away. They move whatever they need to move. And we bring the horse in and Charlotte does her thing where she gets Queen Bee acclimated with the space. And Queen Bee was kind of like, cool, where's my hay? Like, is there grass here? Like Queen Bee was not phased at all. And then Bossom comes in and it was just like one of those magical experiences where his eyes just light up and his whole class follows behind him. And that afternoon we ended up giving him and all 20 or something kindergartners rides around the gym. They got to do crafts. They got to play games. We got to teach them about horsemanship. We taught them how to groom, how to saddle up. And it was just one of the most phenomenal afternoons I think of my life. I mean, it was just felt so good. And he did pass away shortly after, but it just gives us that sense of peace that we were able to give him and his family who were all there a last memory that was really wonderful. And that wasn't 
sad. It was a day of celebration and a day of just happiness for this sweet little boy. So yeah, we will make anything work. I mean, we go to apartment complexes, trailer parks, the suburbs, the city. We are in the city 90% of the time. And some of the families that we'll go to, it's so funny seeing everyone drive by really slowly. and Like what's going on? <laughs> yeah. One of our horses, a black and white paint and sometimes the kids will go, is that a cow? What, what is that? A lot of the families that we visit, their kids have never seen a horse up close. So we make anything work and we will bend the rules as much as we can and make sure we are as safe as possible. But if we have to get a horse inside of a building for the sake of a little kid, we will be doing so. It's amazing. That's Horsey House. We do have three more programs and I'll try to be brief about them because I know I can get so long-winded, but our second program is called Cowboy Campouts. And that brings families on an all-expense paid horseback riding vacation together. And they get to do this with nine other families that are going through similar circumstances. So we do that twice a summer. In light of this strange year we had, which we could not send our families on this group retreat together. So we instead sent them on individual vacations at Michigan vacation rental properties. So that's now a new program that started much in the same way that Horsey House Call started completely by accident. I mean, COVID was such a disruptor of all that we had planned for the summer, but we made it work and we got innovative and creative. And so then we rolled out this new program called the Lone Star Getaway Program. And then our final program is called Outlaw Outings. And that retains relationships with families that we've previously served by bringing them together on a year-round basis to enjoy different one-day recreational events. That was another question I had. So you bring these kids in typically when they're young. What's the relationship like? Do you maintain those relationships over the course of years? I know before we hit the record button, you were flashing some pictures of a young gentleman that was a camper at nine and now he's graduating from high school. Obviously donations. When I open up a gift, a contribution, that's always very heartwarming. And I love knowing that we have cultivated a community of supporters that believe that we will be good stewards of their donation. And so it's always touching to receive any sort of donation. But today when I opened up my mail and I saw these three senior pictures of this little boy named Cass that we served when he was just a little thing in 2009, it's such a heartwarming experience to know that the families who we have served in the past we've stayed a part of their lives and their hearts and they remember us and they want to stay in touch. The Outlaw Outing Program was designed and rolled out in an effort to maintain a relationship with the families that we've previously served. We spend a really fun, wonderful day with the families, even though it's one day and it's one afternoon, it's packed with emotion and with laughter and happiness and sometimes is the only glimpse of light that the families have ever had since the child's diagnosis. We share that experience with these families through horsey house calls, or we'll share this really incredible experience at this cowboy camp out where we get to know the families in a weekend like we've known them all of our lives. So to say see and ever after that program has been completed, just it doesn't feel right. It never did. Plus, we continue to have families that would reapply to have another horsey house call or to go on another cowboy camp out. And sadly, it's very expensive and there's a lot of need. So we cannot serve a family more than once with one of our signature programs. But in an effort to not say see a never and to make sure that we do continue having a relationship with these families that we've shared this beautiful experience with, 
we rolled out the Outlaw Outing program, which encourages families to stay in touch with us forever. So the way it works is that once we have served the family with a horsey house call or cowboy camp out or now a Lone Star getaway, which are the signature programs that they can only receive one time, then they become entered into our database, our email list that gives them shout outs and opportunities to be a part of the programs that we have planned throughout the year. So for example, we have an annual trail ride cookout that we put on that sometimes gathers upwards of 150 people who come together from all over Michigan. And some of the families were served in 2004. We're our first ever families that were at those one day events with us. Some were served last year, but they are families that want to come back. The kids want to show us that their hair has grown back. They want to sometimes mentor the other children who are a little bit younger. And it's a really beautiful bonding experience because we all get to reunite and see each other and catch up. And then they go on a trail ride and we cook them lunch and paint pumpkins and have a really wonderful afternoon together. We'll take families to professional sports games and they get to sit almost courtside because the Pistons are very generous to us and will grant us a number of really phenomenal seats in the arena. We'll take mothers and daughters to a spa and have a pampering day that they get to enjoy thanks to the spa that has donated their services for the day. So throughout the year, we try to maintain the relationships by planning these one-day recreational outings that can give the families a chance just to reconnect with us, to reconnect with each other, and have something really fun to do that recognizes how far they've come. One of the things that we touched on just a little bit ago that I wanted to come back to was being involved, like I get pretty emotional, like when I hear these stories. And so I'm wondering, how do you point blank, keep it together, Molly? Because there's been a few times like I'm thinking back to some of these stories and I start tearing up. This is audio. This is a podcast. So you can't see my face. But during board meetings, things will come up or like having conversation with other volunteers, especially like Charlotte, who's still a very close part of our family. And now you're a mom. And So I just wonder how you keep it together. And then the things change when you became a mom on how the organization feels. I used to be quite offended when people would say, oh, well, this isn't as emotional for you because you don't have kids or whatever. And I think it is emotional regardless of what, if you have kids, you don't have kids. I mean, nobody wants to see a child suffering. I will say that I now, I have two little boys of my own who are six and seven and I will oftentimes be at a visit and I can sort of see my children's faces in the face of the sick child and it hurts and it can get very emotional. And you look over to the mother and you think like, how are you even standing and able to do this? I will say that it grants a lot of perspective. It makes me realize that when my kids are being little stinkers (laughs) and doing the things that kids do to get on your nerves, it does allow me to kind of take a breath and say, count my blessings. But I can't say that it's not emotional work. We oftentimes find ourselves as a team sharing a lot of deep emotion with one another when we have certain applications come in and we see the diagnosis as something like DIPG, which is just the most devastating brain cancer where there's 0% survival rate. It's this collective sadness that we feel and this heavy weight that we carry. I think it's really important that anybody who's in this line of work does their work to, of course, self-care and all of those kind of cliche things that we all tell ourselves that we need to do as humans to stay fit in the mind. But 
I will recognize that our job is fun and we get to bring this day of happiness and this really amazing thing to the families. We are not on the medical side of things, administering chemo or delivering the terrible news that the child has a horrible prognosis. I mean, there are, again, perspective, I suppose, but I'd be lying if I said that it didn't get emotional and that, I mean, everybody that's worked with me has seen me cry and break down and feel very sad, especially when we hear the devastating news that we've lost a child that we got to know. But I think that the work is important. I know that it makes a difference. And so there's no amount of sadness that I'm going to feel that will change the way that I feel about this program's importance. And I do what I have to do to keep going and wear the sunglasses on the really sad visits. If the child is very visibly sick and I start feeling emotional and you stay strong and maybe you shed some tears on the drive home, but it is emotional work and it does not get easier. And I definitely think that having a family of my own and having children, it has allowed me to empathize even more with that mother. I hope that in my lifetime, I see more funding increased for childhood cancer and for these horrible things that these kids are going through because it's just a devastating thing to witness. But, but it feels good to be on the end of helping. So I think everybody, even during this time of COVID, where I think we were all so frozen when everything first started, and the minute that, I don't know about your experience, but I would imagine that the minute that you found a way to help, that makes you feel better. It helps you my advice to anybody who's feeling kind of down about the world or anything going on that is out of our control is to get involved and roll up your sleeves and help because the little moves you can make toward helping somebody else, it helps yourself. I mean, we get more out of this than the children do and the children get a whole lot of, out of it. So I don't ever think that the emotional weight that we carry ever should get in the way of doing the work. So as we kind of begin to wrap up our conversation, where do you see... Camp Casey going next? So this has been, as you know, a very large conversation that we've had as a board, as a team. And I have some really exciting plans, I suppose, that I think it's too early to share right now publicly, but there's been a lot of clarity. COVID was really a scary time for us because in March, when this all happened, I mean, for everybody, everyone knows what I'm talking about. It was like we were all paralyzed with fear and anxiety. And we went overnight from working in a nice office to sharing a kitchen table workspace with six-year-olds who are asking you about breakaway math. Like I felt like such a moron, like being asked <laughs> great questions as I'm like trying to take a phone call or write a grant report. And our lives were so disrupted and everything with Camp Casey was totally on pause because how are we going to bring a party essentially to immunocompromised kids that was like, this is, do we just liquidate and buy ventilators? It was very scary. But what was interesting about that, and it's been a theme with Camp Casey, every hardship we've endured from the very beginning, from enduring Casey's death, has led to something bigger and grander and something that has left a mark on this world in a positive way. And this time, this hardship that we went through, right as we're gearing up for two fundraisers that were days away and our programming season that was just weeks away and all of these promises we had made to our funders that we had been 
promising for the last six months where we didn't know how we would make good on them. We just took a second and we reassessed and we figured out how we could make this happen. And we did, we persevered. We had to get innovative. We switched our cowboy camp out program around to the Lone Star getaway program. We amended our horsey house skull so that we took our already very high safety standards and we tweaked them a little bit so that we could bring our horsey house skull program to just as many kids this summer as we did in years past. And it offered us a chance to sort of take a bird's eye view at the organization as a whole and see where we want to end up. And a lot of really good stuff has come from that. I would say that this has been a year of hardship, but it's been a year of lots of silver linings. And one of them is that I believe that it's offered us some clarity as to where we're going. And there's some really cool collaborative things that we are doing with a Detroit horse farm right now, where we are hoping to start offering some on-site programming where we would expand our outlaw outing program and start bringing the children to this farm in Detroit, which is really exciting. We're hoping that we will be able to sort of work more efficiently and, and cut some costs by expanding on some of the remote work that we've already learned is working for us. So we are c- continuously evolving. That's never stopped. And I'm really excited about the future. I've never been more pumped up and excited about where we're going than I am right now. I know you couldn't talk too much in details about it, but I'm really excited about the ideas that you have and being a part of that. And it's going to be really interesting this next year to see where we go the next level, because I think it's going to really expand what you've started in this whole idea of Casey Foot. <sighs> see, I'm already getting emotional. <laughs> but it's a good kind of emotion. It feels like we are part of something good and that this organization is just like this spiral of good. Everybody that becomes a part of it, it seems like we all have a very special connection between us. And I feel it's a very guided organization. Not only do we have Casey, but we have lots of angels that are looking over this organization and guiding it. And I mean, I told you my favorite story of serendipity, but there are hundreds more. And it seems like every time things get tough or every time you just want to like throw your hands up, something like this happens where you get a reminder of the impact that you've been making and that it's worth all the hard work. And that even when we fall off the horse, getting back on and persevering is always worth it. And I feel just so honored to be able to do this work. Sometimes I can't believe that I receive a paycheck to do this because it feels like I get to live like a fantasy life. My next door neighbor goes, said to me the other day, she goes, your job is so cool. And I would go, I know, <laughs> because it is, it's the coolest job ever. I mean, it's like I get to bargain shop all day to figure out how we're going to get the best deal for whatever we're trying to coordinate. And then we get to deliver this gorgeous program to kids and parents and the community that's so thankful for what we're doing. So it is just, I mean, I don't know how I got so lucky. I feel that I can only imagine that Casey is somewhere thanking me for helping her with all those baby birds. Casey's story in and of itself is amazing, but I think just as amazing as a college student working in a barn that has no idea of what she's going to do, turning into a grassroots nonprofit to turn it into the organization that you've done today is just, it's amazing. I know a lot of people are very proud of you and what you've done for the organization and the community and all these kids that you've touched. So thank you so much. My closing question for everyone, 
at least those that have kids and so far everybody on the show has had a family is what is the thing that you love most about being a mom? The humor that comes out of it, hands down. I mean, every day my kids say something that make me laugh and question their sanity a lot of the time. I mean, they're just nuts. They like are little like drunken monkeys running around all day. You know this. I mean, it's just they are so clever and funny. And I feel every day we get to laugh at them or with them or around them. But I will say that it's very similar to Camp Casey and any sort of startup. Nothing worthwhile is easy. And I believe that that is so true for kids. I mean, it's the hardest, most tiring, most frustrating job, most underpaying job ever. (laughs) (laughs) But there is just nothing like it. And I love them so much. I mean, they're everything. And I can't imagine my life without my family. But laughing, I would say that hands down, the amount of laughter and humor that they bring is just the very best thing about being a mom. I'd have to agree with you because on the rough days when you hear that laughter, it kind of takes the tension away, melts the anger a little bit. And it's funny, when I first told somebody, Teresa and I were having triplets, they just said, just be careful because the days are long, but the years are short. And here we are, we're, we're recording this at the beginning of December and another week, these triplets are now going to be 10. So I can really empathize with what you're saying there. One thing I want to make sure that we talk about last is if people want to get involved with Camp Casey, because that's one thing we didn't talk about in any detail. And I know that we're going to have you back next year, Molly, when you can really talk about some big things going on, is the army of volunteers, both with their time, with their money, with their contributions. How do people get involved? So there are lots of ways to get involved. You do not need to be horse savvy. You do not need to be a kindergarten teacher or anybody can contribute. And there are lots of ways. And you do not have to be Bill Gates to contribute either. We're not looking for only monetary support. I would say there are three things that we go after. Number one is awareness. We are a grassroots organization. And as proud as I am of us being 16 years old and the accomplishments that we continue to see and the growth and strides that we continue to make, we are still small. We are nowhere close to becoming the household name that larger organizations are. I mean, we have a lot of work to do. And the hospital privacy laws prohibit us from making direct contact to the families that can benefit from our services. So we rely on word of mouth for families to even know that we are out there and that they can receive our services. So that's as simple as a Facebook post, of course. Hey, I heard about this great organization called Camp Casey. You never know who you might know who has a neighbor who has a child who is sick or goes to church with somebody whose child is sick who is a teacher in their school. There's a child who could benefit from our program. So awareness is huge for us. Telling a friend, telling somebody that might not know about us, who we are, what we do. And I would like to also be clear that we started as an organization just for kids with cancer. We've expanded our parameters to not only serving kids with cancer, but we also went on to opening up to serve children with sickle cell disease, aplastic anemia. And this year, I'm very proud to say that we've opened our parameters even further as an organization, as one of the only organizations that was actually able to offer in-person programming because we have been bringing our programs to immunocompromised homebound children for so long. We were able to actually do this when a lot of other organizations could not. All the wish trips were canceled. All the 
summer camps were canceled. So we did end up opening our parameters and serving kids with all life-threatening illnesses, which we are hoping stays a permanent part of our mission. So telling a friend about us, sharing us on social media, that's invaluable. Secondly, any kind of monetary donation, of course, goes a long way. We make $5 stretch. So you can be confident when giving to Camp Casey that your money will be very well spent and it will be spent in your neighborhood, in your community. It stays local. Anything helps. We love when we can retain regular donors. If you can get on our Golden Spurs Club, where on a monthly basis, you're going to give five or 10 or 20 or whatever is available to give at that time. That's a wonderful way to get involved. A donation goes a long way. And also we love it when somebody wants to make a donation in honor of somebody or tribute. It's boss's day and you want to make a donation to your boss or your neighbor or your friend or the kid who has everything and you want to make a donation in his name. We love to acknowledge tribute donations that way. And then finally, volunteering for us. We require five volunteers for every horsey house call that we complete. And the volunteers do not need to be horse savvy. We need anybody who can show up. You have to watch a 20-minute training video so you know what to expect. It's all online. All of the application process is all online. It's very simple. Once you apply, you do have to have a clean record. You cannot be an actual outlaw. But <laughs> we do run a background check. But if It's very thorough. Out, very thorough. If you run a background check and you have a big heart and you are 16 or older, then we welcome as many volunteers as we can. We do not care about your horse abilities or even if you're shy and don't want to be the center of attention, we need help handing out pizza or doing crafts with the kids or setting up our bins and things like that. Each visit requires five volunteers and we go on 30 of them regionally. So we need a lot of volunteer help. So that's as easy as going onto our website, which is camp-kc.org or looking us up on Facebook and signing up to become a volunteer. So the three ways is awareness, donations, and then sweat equity, getting involved and becoming a volunteer with us. And I'll put links to the organization in the show notes. So when the episode gets posted, everybody will have access to that. Well, Molly, I can't thank you enough. I love hearing the stories. I know I probably heard them before, but they just, especially this time of year, it just warms your heart. And the work that you and the staff do is amazing. And I'm really looking forward to having this conversation again a year from now to see where we're at. Well, thank you, Paul. And I really thank you for giving me the ability to tell the story and share something that's so passionate to me and to so many others with all of your listeners. So happy everything and looking forward to the year ahead and the decade ahead and where we are all going on this wild ride. (laughs) Thanks, Molly. And thanks for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.